Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today, my co-host, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, we are interviewing Tom Tamarkin who is the president of Climate Site. And today's interview is a second part series of a very important topic that we should all care about, and that is climate change. So we, we were able to catch up with Tom Tamarkin and uh, talk to him about what he believes the, the situation is with climate change, what's happening pertaining to climate change, and most importantly, did he feel that climate change is real and what are the core issues with climate change? So we will be bringing him on shortly, but before we do, I'd like to tell you about our latest issue of Shell Magazine. Our cover is Moda Midstream, one of the largest midstream companies in North America, doing some great work in, believe it or not, Corpus Christi, Texas. So we, on that cover, were able to catch up with the three owners of Moda Midstream. It's a story that you do not want to miss. For more information, go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and read all about it. I'd like to also tell you about Teeks, Texas Energy Advocates Coalition mixer. This mixer is set for May 25th and it's actually in Midland, Texas this time. It's going to be a sold out event, lots of networking opportunities, a great lineup of speakers. For more information, I also encourage you to visit Shell Magazine's website, shellmag.com. For more information and to get tickets, it's something you don't want to wait on. Usually if you wait, you don't get an entrance because it is sold out. There's also sponsorship packages available too as well. So I encourage you, if you want to attend or you're in the Midland area, which we do air in KWEL studio, please visit shellmag.com, click on the banner ad and get yourself some tickets and or sponsor the event. For more information, go to shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And now it's time to welcome on my co-host and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It always is a beautiful day in Texas when you think about the great weather we've had for quite a bit of time. We've had a lot of rain. A lot of rain. Uh, we've had a lot of everything here in Texas, which is unusual, but it's also a nice change because if you remember, we've had droughts and just hot weather for years and years and years. It's been a strange year for Texas weather. But I, I want to talk a little bit about oil prices. We, we talk a lot about the oil prices. Yep. They're kind of fluctuating again. And one of the, the things that we get uh, a lot of from our listeners is they like to see David Blackman pull out his crystal ball and talk a little bit about oil prices and where we're going. So what is influencing, what are the big factors that are influencing this change in the prices? Yeah, we had a good strong week this week. Um, another one, uh, we've, you know, had- $65. Right, yeah, $65 early in the week. and. Uh, you know, that's a major threshold. We hadn't been at that level for seven weeks. It gotten up there in late February, because if you remember the first couple of months of the year were extremely strong. So or it, it just, it's it's been a really good year for oil prices. And it's something that 
few people really thought was going to happen at the first of the year. This week we had, you know, news from from OPEC Plus that they, they had strong compliance again uh, with with their export quotas in in April. And yes, they're gradually putting more oil on, on the market, but uh, but the traders who really uh, strongly influence the prices are convinced that uh, the reopening of the American economy. I mean, when you see states like New York and California announcing they're about to open up fully in Las Vegas, you know, their casinos out there are going to full capacity and the shows are reopening. And so all of that's a very strong ind indicator for, for economic growth. And that means recovery in demand for crude oil, because let's be honest, crude oil, oil and gas drive the global economy, just like they have for the last century. And that's not going to change anytime soon. So it was a good, good, strong week for all prices. Very good. Let's uh, go to another topic we talk a lot about, which was, of course, the Texas big freeze and um, the whole snow, I call snowgate because it was yeah. a really terrible thing that happened here in Texas. But our legislators, of course, it's in their hands now. I was listening to my local news just yesterday, and they were talking about some of the bills that would require the Senate to really uh, right. change ERCOT's position. Some of the bills would require power generation to be winterized, which is one of the problems. And there's also uh, some at, at their power plants. Would you say that the state's fund to help them, who's going to pay for this? And, and how is this, do you see this actually going through all these pieces of legislation? So break them down, which ones are the ones that really are the most important, and then who's going to pay for them? Uh, legislators will have a really uh, big say of who gets placed at ERCOT. Exactly. Yeah, they will. And, and that's all good. You know, that, that board obviously needed to be reformed and mm -hmm. that's going to happen. And the way the members of it are selected needed to definitely be reformed. And that's, that's going to happen. Um, to me, the biggest bill is, is the one you mentioned, the one that will require power generators to weatherize some of their plants, not all of them. Uh, they're going to do it. Uh, actually, the approach I like, it's, it's actually similar to the state's water plan, the funding mechanism that actually the oil and gas industry lobby helped put into place uh, back in 2011. I worked on that myself. And uh, basically what they're going to do is they're going to set aside $2 billion revolving credit fund that will provide low interest uh, financing for, for these projects to, uh, to improve these plants. The power generators will be able to borrow from it at very low interest rates, just as you know, water planners have been able to do for the last decade to ensure the state has a secure water supply. Um, so to me, this is actually a very good solution. And who's going to pay for it? Well, guess who? We are. Leverage <laughs> taxes on oil and gas are going to pay for it because the $2 billion to establish the revolving credit fund is going to come out of the state's rainy day fund, which is entirely funded by the oil and gas industry through its severance tax. So just another reason, folks, to be very grateful for the presence of a very healthy and robust oil and gas industry in the state of Texas. The changes, do you think they're actually going to get through this session? Well, I, I hope so. I'm hopeful that will happen. I've talked to a couple of my former colleagues down there in Austin who are in the lobby. They do expect the winterization bill to be approved by the Senate. Hopefully it'll be in the same form so that there's, you know, they don't run out of time. 
But early on, let's all remember and put pressure on Governor Abbott. Early on, he promised that if the legislature didn't get it done during the regular session, and he demanded winterization, that was one of the things he demanded. Um, if they didn't get it done during the regular session, he would call special sessions, 30-day sessions, until they do get it done. Very good. Uh, and so we need to hold Governor Abbott's feet to the fire on that. I could agree with you more. So one of the other things that we talk a lot about with you know Wintergate and what happened and how do we make sure it doesn't happen for a third time was more reserve capacity. So tell, yep. you know, first of all, it'll be used by clean natural burning gas, but just cover what was the need for us to increase the reserve capacity? What was some of the problems because we hadn't had a base load in a while? Right. So we understand why these things are important. And then do you think that we're going to get any worth with the legislators as well on that end? No, unfortunately, I don't think the legislature is going to do anything on that. Uh, Senator Schwartner has a very good bill that uh, would uh, mandate the building of uh, 10 gigawatts of new reserve capacity. Uh, you know, it's a proposal by Berkshire Hathaway that would you know, become the builder of these plants. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to pass. I hope it will, but um, I'm, you know, I'm just not real confident that's going to happen. We have to have more reserve baseload capacity. Mm -hmm. What has happened to our grid you know, folks who have lived here like I have for half a century know we didn't have blackout issues in the state of Texas. And still we started loading our grid down with all of this intermittent wind power and, and later with solar power. And that has created uh, instability in the grid. We haven't built, unfortunately, nearly enough reserve baseload capacity. And by baseload, I mean capacity that runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, doesn't depend on the sun shining or the wind blowing, has to be fired by natural gas or coal or nuclear. We've hardly built any of that over the last decade. And so we have a real shortage of it. So when that cold weather hit and ERCOT was expecting to have eight to 10 gigawatts of, of wind energy available uh, during that time and only had one or two, they ran out of capacity and couldn't meet demand. And so boom. Uh, we had blackouts, um, and a lot of the natural gas froze up too, as we know, and winterization will take care of that issue, but we have to have more capacity to come online during both cold and hot weather emergencies that we're about to have this July and August. Uh, we will, there's no question. So I, unfortunately, I don't think the legislature is going to mandate that, and that's a mistake, mm -hmm. and we will probably pay for that mistake down the line at some point. Do you see another like Snowgate where we, cause we don't have the capacity and we're relying on the soul in the winter. One more, we're one bad storm away from. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, we have a storm like that. We have a weather event like that during the winter about once every 10 years on average, all this nonsense about that being some sort of one time black swan event is exactly that nonsense. Just go back and do a little research. You will see about once every 10 years on average, we have an event just like that, and we'll have it again, maybe next year. And when it does, we're gonna look back at this session of the legislature and say, oh, they had a chance to fix that and they didn't do it. Well, um, I wish we were leaving on a better note when it comes down to- <laughs> I get emotional about that. Don't? Wait and see <laughs> and try to follow those bills along. Well, David, that is all the time that we have for this segment. Coming up though is Tom Tamarkin, who is our guest. 
and the second part series of where we're covering climate change. It's a series that was that is very important if you want to learn about all about climate change. You're listening to you in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And now, David, it's time for us to bring on our guest, Tom Tamarkin, who is the president of Energy Site. And we're continuing the conversation we had last week on climate change and is it real? Yes, absolutely. And, and Tom, thank you. Thank you for being with us again. I, I urge everyone uh, to go take a look at the podcast uh, of our previous show with Tom, because we talked at great length about climate change theory and, and the issues surrounding that and why why a lot of things we're being told here in the United States about climate change and its causes are really not true. Uh, and you can find that podcast at iHeartRadio, uh, in the All Patch Radio at iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and several other locations. And shellmag.com. And um, so please, please do take a look at it because this is going to be a continuation of that discussion. Tom, um, let's, let's start by talking about carbon dioxide. We talked about this in the last segment of the last show, but we didn't get all the way through it. And I want to want to give you an opportunity to talk about your views on why the environmental community is so focused on carbon dioxide and whether any of their concerns surrounding carbon dioxide are actually legitimate. Well, yes, thank you. The environmental community per se is a very amorphous uh, concept. If you it will. certainly is. <laughs> I need to dig into that a bit. Uh, a, a friend of mine, a colleague, I work with him uh, actually on, on, on a, as an advisor to a group that we are very close to in Europe, is uh, Patrick Moore, who is co-founder of Greenpeace. Right. And Patrick, as an example, uh, has given up, has reversed his previous position about global warming and even carbon dioxide. And I think makes the point insane that almost all of these people are not scientists, but they're activists. Right. So they really don't know to be blunt. They simply do not understand the science that they're talking about. They're, they're, they're ignorant of the science. Isn't so this more of kind of a religious talk, exercise with these folks? than a climate or a scientific endeavor with most of these people? Um, it's very much a religion. We call yeah. it a religion of climatology. Um, very good point. But it's they have a religious attitude. So they don't question any of the underlying facts. They simply yeah. recite the uh, you know, book and verse. Yeah, it's really disturbing. It's almost cultish-like behavior. But anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead no, no, no. and talk about carbon dioxide. 
your views well, on it. As I said a minute ago, and I can't overemphasize this point, uh, very, very few people, I mentioned Dr. Murray Salby as an example, have really asked the key question. I'm one of the few that has written about this over the last three years. Uh, in fact, I, uh, I wrote a chapter in a book, uh, which I think you may have seen a copy of, which really discusses this in detail, and it has some graphs uh, that I was the first to produce, uh, actually showing things such as specific volcanic eruptions and the effect that they had on temperature over the course of the, la of the following years, uh, as well as other issues. Um, and in that article, I mentioned the fact that we simply were unable to measure the increases of CO2 coming from the use of fossil fuels as more and more fossil fuels uh, were being used worldwide uh, in the uh, developing countries. And as I said, very few people have asked that question. Um, I know many of the leading uh, scientists, if you will, who are on what we call the skeptical side of the theory of global warming. And I can't think of any of them, but I'm not going to mention names here, but as I said, I know all of them, but all of them. I can't think of anybody who has really dug deeply into this concept of just how much of this carbon dioxide in our atmosphere actually comes from the use of fossil fuels. And I'll explain why here in, the, in the, just a, a couple of minutes. Can I ask a question that I'm sure our listeners are, are wondering too? So we have um, all of these, we have the Paris Climate Accord that was a very big deal with President Trump, a very big deal with Biden as well. And we have all these countries that are wanting to participate in it, but they are also, like you said, 20 to 30 years down the road from ever having to comply like the United States needs to comply like yesterday. Um, are these same countries also involved in the $2 trillion swindle, you know, uh, scare the hell out of everyone in, in, the, in the world that we're on a collision course? I mean, how, how are all of these countries tying into this to keep this, this unprovable fact, if you will? Um, how are they doing this? And, and, and I know we have a complicit media for sure. But surely there's some people out on the planet that are smart and intelligent and questioning what's happening here. You know, uh, this is not a, you know, why is this happening? And why is no one saying anything? How, how are they connected, these different countries? Well, it was not a big deal with President Trump. President Trump said, basically, let's abandon our position in the, in the Paris Climate Accords. In other words, exit. And he did. And it was President Biden who, on the first day of assuming office, uh, issued an executive order. Now that's only an executive order and it, it requires a lot of steps in order to approve it. But nonetheless, it's President Biden who wants to re-enter the Paris Climate Accords. Now getting back to Shale Magazine and Shale website, I in fact wrote an article about why we should uh, exit the Paris Climate, Climate Accords. And I would really kind of urge your readers and perhaps you could have uh, that article about exiting the uh, uh, Paris Climate Accords highlighted on, on your website because it's important. But there are a lot of issues to it that, again, uh, come from what we call media hype. Now, I've listened to uh, David in the past uh, in other interviews make comments uh, recently with Jason 
stating that we really haven't had increases in uh, hurricanes, increases in uh, tornadoes, and even increases in temperature for the last 15 years uh, as a function of climate change. We, in fact, have had better weather conditions. Um, yet, when you look at the uh, Paris uh, Climate Accords, it's all, re it's all rested on the predicate that we have had more of these dangerous weather events, which is hype. It's, it's nonsense. Yeah. So this was a show that we did a couple of weeks back with Jason Modulin, president of the Alliance Taking Live Calls in which David, you had brought that up. So I do encourage our listeners to go back and listen. Well, I think that podcast. was all in, in response to the, the the call Tom made into the show and asked the question, right? <laughs> right, yes. Okay, let's take a quick break. You're listening to and the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor in the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Welcome back to the All Patch Radio program. I'm David Blackman, editor of Shell Magazine with my co-host, Kim Bellotto, and our special guest today, Tom Tamarkin, who has his own website, climatesite.com, and is, a, is an expert on, on climate change and all the hype around it. Uh, Tom, so, so let's talk about, you know, how do, we, how do we get past this? I mean, is there any way to, to kind of put to rest this notion that man-made carbon dioxide uh, is this boogeyman, climate boogeyman, that's causing the Earth's climate to go crazy. I mean, which obviously isn't happening. So how, how do we educate the public and kind of put that notion to rest? Well, yes, great question. Two tasks. One, we have to educate the public. And two, we have to exercise our political leaders. And I'm not really sure which is going to come first. Yeah. But if I were a strong and honest uh, politician, member of the Senate, Ted Cruz is an example, and I wanted to end this debate once and for all, I would simply hold a Senate hearing and I would deliver an opening statement wherein I would define the problem as follows, the climate change problem. Does man-made carbon dioxide come from fossil fuels create warning? And the answer to that simple question really solves this issue once and for all. So we can forget about all the physics about absorbed infrared radiation and heat transfer. That's really too pedantic for the average person and even certainly the average politician to understand. Now, if we look at a recent paper from Dr. Will Happer of the CO2 Coalition, uh, which we recently posted on our website, you have to have a master's degree, if not a PhD in physics to understand that paper. But the issue can really be boiled down to that simple question, does man-made carbon dioxide cause warming or climate change on the earth? And note, I didn't say does carbon dioxide cause global warming, right. I said does man-made carbon dioxide cause warming? And if you ask that question in this hypothetical Senate hearing, 
uh, with numerous scientists present and lots of left aisle types, uh, cronies of Michael Mann, the professor in his hockey stick curve, um, I would pose to them one final question. And that is, can anybody here in this group prove mathematically, scientifically, empirically, that increases from man's anthropogenic carbon dioxide uh, compose X amount, some number of the total amount of carbon dioxide. In other words, just how much of the total carbon dioxide does man generate? And I think what you find is total silence and then probably mm -hmm. somebody would say something to the effect of, sir, Mr. Cruz, we need to study that for a while. Exactly. That's what the show has been about is how complicated <laughs> it is. If you don't have these degrees, you probably shouldn't really be putting an opinion in here because you, your opinion is probably not even accurate, much less you understand what's going on. And yet our elected officials, all due respect to them, are really pushing out this messaging going along with it. And it's just, a, it, it's, it's dangerous. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why we need to stay energy strong in the United States and stay in front of this instead of being the leader instead of being behind it. That's just my question, but it's a great idea. And you know what? We should be reaching out to Ted Cruz and asking him, well, why aren't you doing that? Especially being from Texas. And Texas is having to do a whole lot of, entering a whole lot of legislation, pieces of legislation, if you will, to try to protect our industry, right, David? We just had this discussion on the show what, sure. two weeks ago of, of yeah. what's happening because there's such anti-oil and gas, you know, sediment out there. And, and you got to, Texas has got to figure out a way to protect its industry and, you know, its, its state's income, if you will. When we get back from break, we're continuing the conversation of climate change and is it real? You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Bilotto, wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully. As a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetic Surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again, the number is 210-614-4320. Or you can visit their website at sanantoniocosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim with In the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm David Blackman with my co-host Kim Bellotto and our special guest today, Tom Tamark. And Tom, um, as we ended the last segment, we were in the middle of our discussion about carbon dioxide and, and whether man-made carbon dioxide is um, 
you know, causing all this climate change that we are supposedly undergoing. And I know you had uh, another point you wanted to make, so I wanted to give you the chance to do that before we move to another subject. Well, I think that's really the key because as I mentioned here three or four times before, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is easily measured. We do that and most people have seen the famous graph coming from what's called the Keeling curve from Mona right. uh, observation point. But that really needs some explanation. If you look at that graph, that famous graph, and it shows the 45 degree axis tilting upward, understand that that's parts per million. So what they are showing is 280 parts per million going up to 415 roughly parts per million over the last 50 years. Parts per million is extremely small. So what they've done is they've taken the curve that should be a flat line, but they've right. expanded the vertical axis so greatly that they can actually show uh, the difference of 200, 200 of a million over a 50 year period of time. That's absurd. It's a very uh, disingenuous use of, of math and statistics and graphics, but it's one that has been done by the IPCC and by all of the uh, what we call climate alarmists. So we really have to get down to, again, uh, the issue that the amount of man-produced carbon dioxide simply has not been measured. And we have to ask the obvious question, why? And the reason is really quite simple. The spectrometry, which is a fancy word for measurement of equipment, used at Mauna Loa and other stations monitoring CO2. This equipment has to operate at the very highest uh, levels of its sensitivity in a, what we call a nonlinear range. And the, what we refer to as signal to noise ratio in that range is so large that it simply cannot filter out the difference between background effects uh, and man's use of uh, CO2, believe it or not. We can actually, when you look at this curve, you see what we call a red sine wave. You could refer to it as shark's teeth going up and down. That is, in fact, the variations of seasonal plant growth right. in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. So it's sensitive enough that we can determine variations in plant growth, but it's simply not sensitive enough uh, to, de to determine how much fuel, uh, how much carbon dioxide uh, man is producing uh, due to his use of fuel. Thanks to ask that very simple question. Yeah, and, and so another simple question, I think, is, has to do with the, the Paris Accords, and, and you talked about that a little bit ago, and your belief we should be out of them as we were throughout the Trump administration. Absolutely. Isn't it a fact? You know, another thing uh, uh, that, that the climate change community likes to demonize is hydraulic fracturing, but isn't a reality, number one, that the United States has already met its goals? Uh, under the Paris Climate Accords through 2025, and two, that the main reason we've been able to do that is because of hydraulic fracturing and all the natural gas we've been able to produce and replace coal-fired power plants with? Um, well, you just brought up another very good buzzword, 
which nobody on the street, the average person on the street has any idea what it means. But the key is hydraulic. What is hydraulic? Well, that means something driven by water pressure. Right. So what we basically do is that we pump water into an existing well or even new wells, and we simply accelerate or increase the flow of oil uh, by pushing it out with water. Now, we can add certain chemicals to that water to make the flow easier, but it's a very harmless procedure. And I think I've seen a statistic that says that probably 60 or 70 percent of all oil wells now in the United States use some form of hydraulic uh, yeah. fracking. Fracking comes from fracturing, meaning we break down big rocks into littler rocks and making it more porous so more oil can flow. Uh, that has nothing to do with climate change. It has everything to do with increasing our supply of energy and maintaining the United States' supremacy uh, in the supply of energy and our national security based on a robust uh, economy and budget. And I think that's really what we're trying to tear down, if they've even thought about it. But again, <laughs> again, uh, I, I propose that most people that talk about uh, fracturing and certainly President Biden uh, in his debates, uh, he simply didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't understand the concept. No, he doesn't. Well, you know what? I think it has to do with the name, guys. Like it's, whoever is naming these things uh, for the average person doesn't understand it. They should be naming it something like these are nice, soft, warm puppies. <laughs> would love it you know it's it's the, the wording that they demonized it as well without anybody even understanding the practice you're absolutely right and that's why fracking's got such a bad name we need to rename it soft cute little puppies and everybody would not have a problem with it we're getting ready to go to break this will be our last opportunity to close down the topic of climate change and i and so i want us in the next segment to really talk about what can we do to try to start addressing it and talking to the general public about we've got a big train wreck coming and if parents if you're listening you know we definitely want you to have an opportunity to understand a little bit more so you can talk to your children about it because this topic is not going to go away anytime soon you're listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. Psst, hey you. 
Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash teak and click on the join link enter your information and we'll get you set up join the texas energy advocates coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today we're back you're listening to an oil patch radio show David, my co-host, and I have a great opportunity to interview Tom Tamarkin, who is the president of Energy Site. How in the world uh, do we start having discussions to tell the American people it's time to wake up and see what's happening here? Well, another great question. Uh, getting back to your statement before the break, we need to rename uh, fracking to something like uh, water-propelled uh, oil drilling. Um, maybe puppies is not the answer, but certainly <laughs> water uh, drilling, uh, water is pretty safe. But anyway, having said that, and, and that gets back to education, because again, the average person doesn't understand hydraulic fracking or hydraulic fracturing. But getting back to carbon dioxide and getting back to climate change, as I said, there is no man-driven climate change, uh, period, end of discussion. Um, how can we prove that? It's difficult because it's such a complex subject, but if we would simply focus on that concept of carbon dioxide, how much of the world of the entire carbon dioxide in the atmosphere comes from man's use of fossil fuel? That's a difficult question to answer because of the technical issues I brought up a minute ago, having to do with the signal to noise ratio and the measurementation, but actually we're working on solving that. Uh, currently, I'm working with a group of scientists and mathematicians, and we've actually, we're in the process of developing, I, I'd say that we have developed on paper, uh, the means to solve the signal-to-noise ratio problem to where we will be able to actually empirically measure the amount of CO2 man produces. And we actually do this using a technique which we call quantum resonance, resonance quantum resonance infrophotometry, a uh, fancy term we abbreviated as QRI. I'm not going to go into the scientific details of how QI, QRI works here, but we do have a section on our website which actually explains this. And using this technique of QRI analysis, we should be able to fairly quickly uh, determine just what that number is, the percentage of man-made CO2. And our initial calculations, not using QRI, but simply using data coming from NOAA and NASA, tells us that it's somewhere in the area of, and David will love this, 0 0.0019, two zeros. Just two zeros, yeah. Two zeros uh, versus 0.0059% of the total amount of CO2 comes from man, from the use of fossil fuels. But our goal is to actually prove this up with the initial results in uh, a, a peer-reviewed paper by the end of this year. Uh, so that's a very important uh, point. And then in terms of other steps, uh, it really gets down to education. 
Um, I mentioned the fact that I've written several articles in Shale Magazine, uh, yes. one on energy uh, in the previous edition, and one right. more recently on climate change. And it's currently, uh, Kim mentioned uh, Melissa Nichols' book on uh, climate change for children. These steps are very important. Um, we really need to prove once and for all that climate change is not science. Climate change uh, driven by man is not science, but rather it's nonsense. Now, probably most importantly, and I want to kind of hit this point, is that I'm directing a team that's actually writing a full-length action-packed uh, movie to teach people about the fraud and deception, which we call man-made climate change. So that's a pretty blunt statement. It's fraud and deception, and it's called uh, man-made climate change. It's actually the biggest lie man has ever uh, committed, ever told, ever committed on mankind, climate change. And we really need to teach how to kind of bankrupt countries and destroy future generations of or generations to come. And the movie will actually feature leading PhDs to explain the science, the real science, but in kind of subliminal, easy to understand ways that are not pedantic and easy to understand by the average uh, person who may have taken a high school science class, but certainly not classes in physics and, and right. chemistry. And the key word is it's an action-packed thriller movie with a very fun and interesting plot. And we, and hope, to, we hope to begin filming this uh, movie uh, within the next calendar year and to release it within two years before the next election. Right. It's called Mango the Movie. And of course, the obvious question, what's a mango? Well, it's a fruit. Uh, why is the movie named Mango? Well, again, I refer you to our climate site uh, website because we have uh, both the through line and plot of the movie uh, published as well as the history behind the mango concept. It's an interesting story and it gets down to something that I'm sure the two of you can appreciate. I lived in Texas and we called it uh, common sense. <laughs> yeah. Let's try using that. Mango is about common sense. But you know what, it, honestly, I think that the solution that you are trying to do to get the word out, if everybody does a little bit, uh, I think together we can start uh, changing the perception, especially here in the United States. So I'm very excited to see that you're doing that movie. I'm also very excited to see that movie and to push it out. Uh, but we all need to do our part to get informed and educated, not just for ourselves, but for our country, for our children. Um, I, and, and that being said, I understand it's a, it's, it's a topic that's very complicated. And to be honest with you, I don't, I don't have all the answers for it either. But I do want to listen to people who have the education uh, to back up their science and what they're saying. And when we hear stuff come out from our government and from uh, people who are making billions of dollars like the Al Gores of the world, um, you know, they don't back any science. They just say things so negative to our population, to our people in saying that AOC, we've got 12 years, Biden, we're on a path to no return. These things scare people that don't even understand the topic. And I think that we should consider getting informed and trying to do our part. Uh, but Tom, before we leave you, give us your website where listeners can go to and follow you and look up your work and see that you're like the real deal. Again, I want to reinforce the point that, and I'm sitting here looking at it, I just published an article today by Larry Hamlin on the Energy and Natural Resources United States Senate meeting uh, held in June of 1988. None of the predictions given in that Senate hearing 
have happened. Talking about Al Gore, well, I was coming back from Reno, Nevada over a 7,000 foot pass a couple of weeks ago and got stuck in the snowstorm. They closed down I-80. So I'm sorry, Mr. Gore, but yes, we still have snow. Yet, famously, Al Gore said that after 2020-something, uh, it would stop snowing in the United States. Right. Um, our website is Climate Site, and that's spelled climate, dot com. And getting back to the concept I mentioned about the current science that we're doing with respect to uh, our work in the, uh, the mathematics and the physical measurementation to just once and for all prove the amount of anthropogenic carbon dioxide. Um, we are basically doing this as a group of independent scientists, PhDs, mathematicians, and concerned people uh, with our own money on our own time. Um, I say that because Climate Site has been formed as a 501c3. And if anybody is interested in uh, becoming a benefactor, a patron, and helping us with this project, I can't think of anything that's more important uh, to our country and really to the world. Very important project. And it's one that has a very short time horizon, meaning months, not years. Yeah. Thanks, Tom, for being a guest on today's show. David, as always, it was a pleasure catching up with you. That's all the time we have. And thank you for listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.